0: Are you interested in cracking the customer code?
1: You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business.
0: I'm Jeannie Walters.
1: And I'm Adam Taborik.
0: Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it, and
1: a few who don't,
0: and together we'll crack the customer code. Welcome to episode 36 of Crack the Customer Code.
1: Today we're talking about a new company that wants to be known as the Anti-Yelp.
0: We also have Jennifer Maldonado, who handles the Voice of the Gamer program for Activision.
1: And we've got a customer hero story about a young entrepreneur in Austin, Texas. Listen in to find out how a middle schooler is filling the gap in a popular restaurant's customer experience. But first, let's hear from our sponsor.
0: Did you know that by 2016, 89% of companies will compete mainly by the customer experience they provide? How are you preparing for this? Your survey data and customer journey map only tell part of the story. Get your whole organization started on the right foot with a CXI Touchpoint Inventory Workshop. 360 Connect's trademark method is designed to transcend silos and tell the whole story from the customer's perspective. These workshops are proven to help companies across many industries align their priorities, strengthen a customer-centric culture, and make improvements where they are needed the most. 2016 is right around the corner. Contact us today at www360 connect.com. That's 360-C-O-N-N-E-X-T dot com.
1: And if you'd like to reach our listeners by being a show sponsor, you can go to crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor for full details. Now, GD, I want to talk about a news service called Good Snitch. You like that name? Good Snitch. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not about snitches that end up in ditches, none of that stuff, <laughs> all right? They are branding themselves as the anti-Yelp, and their whole thing is about getting feedback to companies that's private. Interesting. So they're trying to fill a, a hole in the market. because a lot of small business. I mean, the people who like Yelp the least are small business owners. Right. They've had the most complaints across a variety of different metrics and reasons, and Good Snitches is sort of trying to come in and fill that gap. So what they're doing is they're enabling consumers to give feedback that goes directly to the um, company and the company is able to address the issues privately. So if you want to complain about an experience you have, but you don't really want to light them up, you like the company, but you had mm-hmm. a bad, you know, this experience was bad. You can go to Goodsnitch and you can go directly to the company through a private channel without having to, you know, look through their mm-hmm. website, find their contact information, all that kind of stuff. So it's an interesting model. What do you think of it?
0: Uh, I, I really like the idea of it. I'm curious how it works. Like, is it is it kind of like a Yelp where you go on and you find the company and it's all right there? Is that the solution they're providing instead of just emailing directly?
1: That's my understanding. It's still a public platform and you can say nice things. I mm-hmm. And I don't know that they're necessarily trying to censor. They're trying to provide an alternative. One of the quotes, hold on, i wrote it down here is if your goal is maximum public retribution, we're not that app. <laughs> we want the world to be a little more positive. I like so, it.
0: I like it. And part of it, you know, I'm not really a Yelper, and that always surprises people, but I would much rather go to the company directly and say, hey, this is going on. Do you know about it? If they don't respond, I can become a Yelper. And that's, I think, what typically happens is that a lot of data shows that by the time somebody complains on social media, they've already exhausted some of the more traditional customer service channels so if somebody has a problem and they feel like okay i'm out of resources maybe this is a good alternative for somebody who who isn't really comfortable going public or somebody who has something really valuable to say but doesn't really know who to say it to
1: or has something they don't want to air publicly Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. depending on the industry medical industry things like that a lot of times you you have a bad experience but you really can't describe right. the details without describing what your experience, you know what your experience was about and sometimes that's a private issue. Yep. So yep. There's, yeah there's a lot of reasons for it. Now, I'm not a Yelper either and that has to do with my one issues with the company itself and some of their practices because I am a small business person. And two, cuz I just don't do that as a rule. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I generally don't go for the negative reviews. Sometimes I will just uh, get somebody's attention. I think I did it once with my cable company, and it mm-hmm. was a time-sensitive, and they actually responded, and they did a, wow. a, also a great job, but a good job. They are monitoring. Uh, it was a UFC fight. Oh. And, you know, it was time-sensitive.
0: <laughs> don't get between Adam and the UFC.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it was starting that night, and they were down and all that kind of stuff. But what's really interesting about the Yelp thing is that consumers come to it two different ways. One, I'd say the great majority of consumers come to it the way you said. Mm-hmm. They're frustrated, and they've exhausted other options. Mm-hmm. But there's a handful, I don't want to say a handful, there's a nice chunk of consumers that use it as a weapon they do and as a wedge and it you know it, it makes it much more toxic and it also makes it less believable because right. most consumers know that you know x percent of the uh, comments on there are trolls or just people that hey she's really off her rocker wow well yeah, and and the, there's the-,
0: the flip side of that though is that there's data that says if somebody looks at for instance an Amazon review and sees nothing but glowing positive They don't trust it either. So you you have to kind of (laughs) sprinkle in the authenticity. And and I think what this highlights is that there is no perfect answer of everything's a great experience or everything's a horrible experience. It's usually a wide spectrum. And this sounds like it might give somebody a new avenue to really drive action within the organization and change the behavior that you actually want to change to improve the experience. So if that's the case, then I think it's really cool.
1: I think so, too. And I think that's the coolest part. I I can say coming from small business and coming as a business owner, you respect the private comments Mm -hmm. more because Mm -hmm. you know they're trying. They're not just mad and trying to hurt you. Right. They've given you an opportunity. Now, if we've dropped the ball, you know, you you've given us the opportunity and we haven't acted, then we deserve it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But when we've tried to, we haven't even had a chance to help you to just light us up publicly. That's the stuff that's always very frustrating, especially for smaller business owners. I mean, the big companies are going to get hit. So I think it's a really neat tool. I'm very interested to see where it goes. And uh, we will see uh, if people gravitate towards it or mm-hmm. if people are like, well, that's too positive. This is the internet. The internet's not about being positive. <laughs> <laughs> so we will find out.
0: Well, Cat videos are pretty positive, so we've <laughs> got depends that going for like us. It <laughs> <laughs> depends
1: on if you're a cat. <laughs> and I believe we have a guest today.
0: Our guest is Jennifer Maldonado. Jennifer has served in dedicated voice of the customer and customer experience roles for seven years. She recently launched Activision's Voice of the Gamer program and manages the company's customer service analytics team. Jennifer places a heavy focus on process redesign and foundational work in enabling trustworthy data and actionable insights, as well as on fostering a client-centric culture by way of storytelling and socializing the voice of the customer. Jen, we're really happy to have you here. Hi, how are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm doing well, Jeannie. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Great. So, Jen, great to have you. And I have to say, you are leading one of the coolest name programs I have yet to hear of in the CX space. Tell us, uh, it's really cool. So, tell us what the voice of the gamer program is and how you approach customer experience in the video game industry.
2: Well, you know, that's how they got me. They told me that they were looking for someone to uh, join this voice (laughs) of the gamer program and head it up. And how can you turn that down, right? Especially with two two teenage boys. I had no chance.
0: (laughs) Coolest mom ever, right? (laughs) Right,
2: right. but, no, it's just a matter of, um, you know, meeting our customers where they are and using the terminology that they use. Um, you know, they don't consider themselves, quote, unquote, customers um, at Activision or, you know, probably a lot of companies that are in similar spaces You know, if you if you went around corporate a few years ago and asked who are our customers, our biggest customers, you'd probably hear things that are like retailer names like Walmart and Target, etc. So by renaming voice of the customer, voice of the gamer, um, it really brings it down to the human level, to the end user and, um, you know, puts a real focus on who it is that we're trying to serve and whose experience it is that we're trying to improve.
0: So was that a big culture shift for you guys? Because it sounds like before you were thinking about the retailer's. And now you are really thinking about the person who's using the game.
2: Yeah, it was a big culture shift, um, actually one that had taken place um, before I got there. So there was a lot of blocking and tackling done um, mm-hmm. before they brought on somebody in a dedicated role, which was very fortunate for me because um, they had already had a couple of years of, of setting up a program where player experience was starting to be looked at, um, you know, more holistically. Um, They implemented practices such as journey mapping parts of the, you know, video game experience and the support experience, and had even done things like have workshops, um, you know, to cultivate empathy for, you know, what the gamer has to go through when maybe they call our support department and our support department tells them that they have to go to the retailer or contact the, you know, company that made the console that they're using. And then they get this back and forth. So um, there had been a lot of, you know, work done to, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of build the foundation for a dedicated Voice of the Gamer program before I came in. So I was really well poised to come in and launch this.
0: And so how do you reach out to the gamers if you're really, um, because your distribution is through these other places and some of your support might be as well. So how do you actually reach out and connect with the end user, the gamer?
2: Well, we're trying to meet the gamers where they are as much as we can, Um, obviously there's always a a cost balance ratio and you have to keep, you know, everything in perspective in terms of, uh, what you can deliver within the constraints of, of your finances. Um, but for example, one thing that we do is we provide social self-service that's actually like solved in channel social self-service. And that contrasts a lot to what a lot of other companies do because often, even if they have somebody who's answering tweets or Facebook posts, which is not always the case, um, Oftentimes they're just redirecting them to a more traditional channel instead mm-hmm. and telling them, you know, here's a website that you should go to or here's the article that you should read or here's the number that you should call. And we're really trying to solve and channel and meet our customers where they are. So we're offering um, support via Twitter, via Facebook, on our community forums. Um, we even have some community managers that will go on Reddit, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the wild, wild west. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, try to solve problems there. Um And then, of course, we have the more traditional channels, you know, of, of our self-service and being able to schedule a callback and, um, you know, chat with a live agent. So. Those are the various ways that on a transactional level we're interacting with our gamers. And then um, beyond that, we're also, you know, doing some of the traditional elements of a comprehensive voice of the customer program. So we have a closed loop process where when we receive feedback via our post transaction surveys um, that requires follow up or if it's a particularly negative score, we will have one of our outreach agents um, contact the gamer to, you know, try to, um, you know, express concern for whatever it is that they uh, noted in their survey, let them know that they were heard and offer any, you know, mitigation or uh, make goods that we can.
0: And so how do you distribute that information throughout the organization? Because if you're doing things in real time and through in-channel support, like social media, um, do you capture that and then distribute it so you can make the action and the changes that you want inside your organization? How do you distribute that?
2: Um, We do. So we we have a lot of reporting. I oversee the analytics team within customer care. And um, it's a combination of real-time reporting via alerts that are in our survey system and event-based reporting, which would be around, um, you know, certain releases, whether it's a a game release or whether it's a new component to a game. Um, In this industry, there's, you know, a lot more than just going into the store and buying the, you know, initial cartridge or disc. After that, there's all sorts of downloadable content that You can still buy or have your parents buy. So we're always adding content to the games, which means they're ever changing and there's always new opportunities for there to be, you know, problems or successes and have to contact us. Mm. So we do regular reports on that. Um, as well as we have a monthly, um, voice of the gamer business review, just like our other teams have monthly business reviews. So we'll have our operational business review. We'll have our, you know, digital team business review. And, uh, along with that, voice of the gamer is operationalized in that way.
1: Excellent. you know, it's interesting, you've got a very multi-layered sort of customer experience measurement and feedback system. So I'm curious, you know, you and I are both NPS certified associates, and I know you've been doing it for many years. Are you using NPS at Activision? And also what other types of metrics are you looking for in a voice of the gamer uh, approach?
2: So that's interesting, Adam, that you mentioned that because I have been NPS certified since 2009, and uh, I've implemented NPS at a number of companies through the years where that was the primary reason why they brought me in, which makes it all the more ironic that, no,
1: we're not using NPS. I was curious. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> so, uh, the appetite's not quite there yet. I'm working on it. Um, I actually have not instituted a relationship survey yet. That's on my roadmap. And um, I really needed to focus on ensuring that we had trustworthy data and doing some of the, you know, initial foundational work that you do with any program, making sure that you're asking consistent questions and consistent manners across channels and managing touch points and things like this. So um, I'm not quite there yet, but what we do rely on, and this was actually a decision made um, before I got there, and it coincided with a decision I had made when I was elsewhere um, as well, um, is we use the customer effort score 2.0. So when Hmm. I was at another company, I implemented that January 1 of 2014, and turns out so did Activision. Um, so we're we're using the newer version of that question, which if you're familiar with it, is on a seven point scale mm-hmm. and it's reworded slightly so that rather than actually using the word effort, which didn't turn out to translate well um, globally, in some cases it was being misinterpreted um, as in foreign countries as to like what it level of effort did the agent have to expend to help me, which is, of course, Mm. the opposite of what we're looking for. So the way that it's been reworded, and this was tested by a corporate executive board, which is the founder of this methodology, um, is to um, use kind of the Likert type question where it poses it as, you know, to what extent do you agree or disagree with the following statement? And the statement is, you know, the company made it easy for me to solve my issue. So in our case, it's just Activision made it easy for me to solve my issue. And easy is a lot simpler. It translates better globally. Um, It's a lot easier to respond to that question because you're using the scale of agreement. So the seven is strongly agree. The one is strongly disagree. Before with level of effort, the, the higher number was representing more effort, which tends to be kind of the polar opposite of, what it means on a satisfaction scale. Um, So that was causing some problems interpretation-wise as well. So that's what we use. And we really um, focus on trying to make the experience easier, even in our pillars of the player experience that we try to deliver. um, One of the key tenants is an easy experience.
1: Yeah, and I love CES. I actually interviewed Matt Dixon of the Corporate Executive Board back when the book came out. And you know, you're know you so right about that. I'd read about the effort, uh, the word. I think it should just be the customer hassle score. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, the pain. That's really it's, very, it's very negative, but it's really what we're measuring. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm curious, where are you measuring the effort?
2: So we're actually measuring it immediately after the transaction. So when a case closes, um, we're surveying in channels. So if it was a tweet and we answered your tweet and that case gets closed in our CRM, then you'll get a DM in your Twitter account that has a link to the survey. And one of the questions in there is the customer effort score. Um, If you went through one of our more traditional channels and you had to authenticate yourself by logging in, we obviously know your email address. So then when your case closes, um, you'll get an email with an invitation to take the survey. So we're asking it right after the case, um, which I prefer. I've, I've also, in collaboration with Corporate Executive Board and the services they provide with their quarterly benchmarking surveys, um, have experienced it where it's a little bit, um, you know, more delayed, where there's a, a quarterly cadence and they're going back and, and asking people who had interactions with your service organization in the prior quarter um, to recall the effort and details of the experience, which I find not to be, you know, quite as top of mind. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities with effort score. When I when I first implemented at the company that I was at prior, um, one of the things I did just to find the initial low hanging fruit was just to cross tab. You know, who are these people who are saying that they had a wonderful experience with their agent, but that it was, um, you know, they highly disagreed that it was easy for them to solve their issue because that seems so contradictory that we would have, you know, these scores on the polar opposites of the scale. And in contacting those people, just by simply, you know, picking up the phone and contacting them and apologizing that it wasn't easy for them to solve their issue and, and asking, could we, you know, get some more information so that we could try to, you know, prevent those problems in the future. Oftentimes, what we would find is they loved talking to the agent, the person was, you know, perfectly friendly and knowledgeable, but maybe the core issue was something that they felt they shouldn't have had to call an agent about. They mm-hmm. should able to do it within the software itself. Like, why should I be dependent on your company to have to do that for me? You're just flipping a switch on the back end to make that accessible to me. So one of the things that came out of, you know, implementing the score at at that company was to surface more of the administration controls and the enterprise software for the admins to be able to use so that they were less dependent on us for some of the day-to-day things.
0: Well, I think there's a lot here. um, And it sounds like you've really gotten to know your your gamers, I'm curious, like, what's what surprised you about gamers? Because I think there's a perception that, you know, the demographics are a certain way and they might live in their parents' basements. <laughs> and I know that's changing, but I'm just curious, what have you learned about gamers that maybe has surprised you or is something you didn't expect?
2: Uh, sure. Well, first, I have to admit that our department is actually housed in the basement. Oh, that's so, perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: when I showed up, you know, the first day and they took me down to my desk. I'm like, you've got to be great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Where's my Jolts and my Fritos? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, that stereotype aside, um, it really has been eye-opening. And, you know, of course, we have a number of different products. So even though Activision is very well-known For Call of Duty and, you know, everybody expects there to be a certain demographic in terms of, you know, who the key audience is um, for those first person shooter games. You know, we have a number of other games that we produce and with the games that, um, you know, you do have a certain stereotypical mindset about who's playing, you find out that's not always the case. So when I first started and I was making this jump, you know, as I mentioned, from enterprise business software over to this consumer oriented, um, you know, entertainment industry field, which was a huge jump for me. So I wanted to be able to, you know, just soak things up like a sponge as quickly as possible So one of the first things I did is start just getting those um, recordings from our call system and forwarding them to my voicemail. And I have a little bit of a commute. So what I would do on my drive is just listen to voicemails that were, you know, recorded calls from the call center as I drove to and from work. And it was really eye opening. I mean, I heard, you know, people calling in, um, you know, translating for their, you know, father or grandfather who was playing a game and, you know, didn't speak English. I heard mothers calling in asking about the game for their autistic children who were playing. Um, I heard, you know, grandmas calling in that were asking about when the, you know, certain toy was going to be available. Was it going to be out in time for Christmas and things like this? So it's it's not always the demographic that you anticipate, um, although certainly there is a
0: healthy proportion of <laughs> young men <laughs> playing <our> games. <laughs> I bet your kids love the games. Are they really happy that that's where you work now?
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. So when I started, my youngest was 15, and I had actually never allowed him to mm-hmm. play all of Duty. So our rule with shooting was that he could shoot like, Non people. Like, mm-hmm. if it was, you know, a target practice type game or if it was like clearly, you know, a cartoonish alien or something, we would allow it. Um, but we weren't quite to the place where we were, you know, letting them do things that seemed realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got this job and turns out I was like, okay, I need you to play. I need to understand what they're saying in the surveys. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like, yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You come home you from work, you're like, lock and load.
2: <laughs> okay. I'm like, okay, explain. To me, what this means about this spawning problem, and he's like, Here, I'll show you. You know, <laughs> so I paid him in t shirts, so it, it all worked out.
1: But, uh, the I love part it.
2: Was he knew exactly how to play. I mean, he picked up that controller and he was whizzing through. So, you know, parents, if you think that you're precluding your kids from playing games that you don't ha- own in your home, believe me, to some us because <laughs> he was fully aware of how the game worked and he knew all
0: the busted.
1: <laughs> he's like i'm at level 90 over at jim's house <laughs> jen this has been awesome this has been really cool and we could definitely talk about nps and ces for i think hours but <laughs> this is very cool and you still do have one of the coolest programs voice of the gamer so we appreciate you coming on and edifying us this has been really educational
0: it's been fantastic and i bet people might want to follow up with you so where they, where can they find you online
2: um, most of the time, I think Twitter is the best place. I'm uh, at MaldiJ, M-A-L-D-Y-J. Um, and uh, also, um, I have my LinkedIn profile. I think I'm, you know, regularly uh, easy to be found. And uh, I'm happy to, you know, respond back to anybody via LinkedIn.
0: Awesome, and I think you and I found each other on Twitter in like 2009. So <laughs> we did.
2: I actually some of my closest customer experience friends, who I've now met, you know, mm-hmm. threefold, fivefold in person, were folks that were just Twitter handles to yeah. me, you know, back then. So um, it was it was a great networking place, and I found my tribe there for sure.
0: Definitely. Well, I'm happy to be part of it. So thanks for coming on with us and and uh, enlightening us so much about everything. So. Have a great day, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Thank
2: you. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.
0: So, Adam, do we have a customer
1: hero or a customer zero today? Well, today we have a customer hero, and he's in middle school, believe it or not. <laughs> now, I know you go to Austin for South by Southwest a lot. I do. Are you familiar with Franklin's Barbecue?
0: Of course. It's okay. delicious.
1: Okay. Well, haven't been a vegetarian for a long time. I haven't been there, I will say. But this kid's story was so cool. I was like, all right, we've got to do a customer hero. So let me tell you a little bit about Desmond. Desmond is a middle school student, and according to his website, which he has an entire website dedicated to this, he's a black belt in Kung Fu, and he's saving to buy a car. Awesome. so what he has done is Franklin's Barbecue is like crazy popular. I mean, people who go to Austin, they flock to it. It was actually in that movie Chef, which is all about going around and eating at great restaurants. Mm-hmm. And well, it's not really what it's about, but they do that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so what he did was he created BBQFastPass.com, Barbecue fastpass, and you can essentially pay him to sit in line at um, Franklin Barbecue for you. That's
0: spectacular! <laughs>
1: wow. And yeah, apparently they lo- they know the kid, and uh, he says he's respectful of Franklin's line rules, so he can only do one takeout or delivery order per day. In other words, he won't go up there and take five up to the counter and pay mm-hmm. for all. And uh, quote unquote, he is fully booked for July. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I love this kid. I know. So what's really cool is thinking about you know the add on customer experience. When a company and you usually don't see it for a small business like this. That's mm-hmm. you pretty rare. But you you know, you see this all the time with, you know, apps for different things and larger companies and all this type of stuff. So the add-on customer experience is my question to you, Jeannie. What do you think the role is of third parties in helping your customer experience? Should Franklins be trying to address this on their own, knowing that a line is both a good and a bad thing? And Jeannie, go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say that this highlights that there is an issue that customers have with the experience at Franklin's that they are willing to pay for to solve. And so if I were Franklin's, I would say, well, good on you, kid, because he's figured this out and good for him. But if I were those other places in Austin that have a similar situation, then I would start looking at what can we do to make the line experience a little easier? Is there a service that we can offer? Is there something that makes it, uh, you know, less effort for our customers, which is what this is really about. And I think it also highlights the importance of really knowing the experience, not just the experience of yes, Franklin's food is delicious, but what is the experience of actually walking in, standing in line, getting the food, all of that. And it, highlights why it's so important to do let's say a touchpoint inventory or something (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) well you know it's interesting is you talk about the line because the line is essentially a good thing in many ways because you've got a i mean it sucks to be in line of course Mm -hmm. but the question may not be can we shorten the line because that could cause other problems one if they don't want to open a second restaurant well that's all there is to it they Mm -hmm. don't want to open a second restaurant So then, well, they don't want this one to be less popular. So, okay, we have lines, and we only have so much capacity. So the line self-regulates our ability to produce the food and so forth and so on. So the line may be something they're stuck with because it has more benefits um, than drawbacks. So the question is, can they do things to make the line more entertaining, to make Mm -hmm. time in line more... Uh, easy to pass. Uh, I went to, uh, I don't know if you have Mellow Mushroom up there. No, because that's Uh, not
0: legal in Illinois.
1: (laughs) It is actually a very hippie-ish place. So Mellow Mushroom is a chain. I think they're starting to really branch out national, but they're big in the southeast. I know I'm saying this to two people uh, from Chicago that are listening (laughs) to me right now, but best pizza crust there is. Oh, please. I know, I know. And it's a Chicago pizza thing. But anyways, great pizza. And what they have, because they are so busy all the time, is they've got uh, the one I just went to has like these little beanbag like throw games out mm-hmm. front. Like so, when you're sitting out front, there's something for the kids to do because they're a very big family restaurant. We call that
0: we call that cornhole up here. <laughs> do you know that game?
1: I, I don't. Okay. I just beanbags and some holes on the on a piece yeah, of plywood. It's, I have it's no. Called,
0: idea everybody it's. else in the world calls that cornhole. Okay. Or baggo. <laughs> <laughs> Not the beanbag game. Like, go okay. ahead with your story. <laughs>
1: So about customer experience. <laughs> anyway, so point is they took the opportunity. They're going to have a line on Friday mm-hmm. and Saturday. There's just no way around it. You know, they, they have chain. They, they have multiple restaurants, but they're only going to put them so close. And sometimes they're going to be at capacity. So they at least tried to find a creative way to make standing in line more fun and certainly mm-hmm. more fun for the kids who are like, mommy, I'm hungry.
0: Right. Well, and Lou Mitchell's here in Chicago. They're known for Sunday brunch. And they're a pretty small diner place, and they come out with baskets of their world famous donut holes for people in line. So people will line up in winter in Chicago, <laughs> 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 and they'll come out with those warm donut holes. And you know, then it's then it's totally worth it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> then half of them leave and don't get brunch. <laughs> like, no, I'm no, no, sure, they don't. I I sure mean, the donut holes. They,
0: people are very loyal to Lou Mitchell's, and because of that, so yeah, I think. That That's what this opens up. What can we do to improve the experience at these moments that, you know, they're necessary, they're part of how we operate internally, but what can we do about it for our customers? And that's really what we're always talking about, isn't it? Just those small improvements of making the experience a little more enjoyable, even when we know there are obstacles to the customer's journey.
1: Absolutely. And when you see somebody else creating something to improve your customer experience, it's time to look at why they're doing that yep. and what you can do.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, alrighty. I think that wrapped up our uh, barbecuefastpass.com. Thank you for listening to episode 36 of the Crack the Customer Code. I'm Adam DeFord, and my website is customersatstick.com.
0: And I'm Jeannie Walters. You can find out more about me at 360connect.com. More episodes and the show notes are available at CrackTheCustomerCode.com.
1: And please subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, leave a review on iTunes so others can find our show. And please tell someone you know. We love word
0: of mouth. Until next time, take care of yourself.
1: And take care of your customers.